Back in the 1980s, there was a hit song called Everybody's Working for the Weekend. The idea was that work is a drag and just something you have to go through, but at least the money you make allows you to have fun or maybe have a party on the weekend. Also in the 1980s, there was a hit called Nine to Five, and its theme song said, Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. You can lose your mind, it's all taken and no giving. Again, work can be a grind. But is that all work can be? Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about work. And although a lot of that is also rather cynical, we can dig into scripture to get some deeper insights as well. So stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in program two of our three-part series here on the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the first program, we talked about the teacher who is pretty much a curmudgeon, and he is giving us a lot of reflections that are like down to earth and giving us an understanding of life being a vapor, which we we just kept saying, because that's basically what it means. It's a short vapor, and, and there's not a lot of in there. It's just brief, and it's gone. Yeah, we're sort of like a bubble rising to the top of a glass of champagne, and eventually it just pops, and it's gone. That's life, uh, the teacher says. In the first episode, we said, well, maybe the teacher found uh, great merit in pursuing wisdom, because this is a wisdom book. Eh, not so much. How about pleasures? Eh, they're fleeting. How about undertaking great projects? Eh, nobody remembers you when you're gone anyway. So that's kind of the way it went, though uh, we did see that uh, that realistic engagement with life really helps us understand that our faith has to be realistic and God is realistic and that's why he saved us through Jesus on the cross, which is where we ended up in the previous program in this series. But now, one of the main themes that weaves through Ecclesiastes is work, labor, toil. So we want to see what the teacher uh, has to say about that. Before we go into the scripture that talks about that, Scott, I just wanted to clarify the difference between working and toiling. So toiling, on one hand, is really for a sinful motive. If you're trying to amass things for yourself so that everybody can look at you or you want, you know, society or your neighbors or whoever to think you're somebody, you're trying to get your identity, your value, your worth from what you produce, then that is actually toiling in which this writer considers to be meaningless. Right. If all you want is the bling, if all you want is the attention, right, then then that's sort of the sense of toiling or or slaving away. You, you really you don't take any pleasure and you don't endow any meaning in the work. It's just a means to an end. And the end is to shine brighter than your neighbor. And when that's all you care about, then indeed, then that's toil. You know, it's not meaningful work. It's slaving away. It's just toil. Work is a cruel taskmaster then. So then on the other hand, work is, happens to be something that is honorable, has its own intrinsic value when you do it in the right spirit and exactly. when you have the right motive. If you're working to be a blessing to someone with your hands, if you're working that your work doesn't make you who you are, but you actually find a way to serve and, and, and vocation is what we talked about earlier in the last episode. If you can find your vocation and you can honor God that way, then it's, work is good. So let's see what the, the teacher has to say on the subject of toiling in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. And this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. 
Again, I, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Man, I see a couple of problems in this passage here, Scott. One of them being that the person works and achieves out of envy for envy. another person. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is the classic definition of keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, you have someone who sees an achievement or, or like maybe they have a nice house or a nice car or they make a lot of money or whatnot. This person sees that and says, I got to be better than that mm -hmm. or I got to do I got to work harder. I got to go to work and stay longer because I want to make sure that I show myself as like that. I want to keep up with them. And that isn't a healthy way to look at work or a healthy reason for working. No, it's extremely short-sighted, right? I mean, talk about just some very limited and envy-driven, sinful, short-term goals. I just want to be better than them. I'm sick of uh, his having a bigger boat than I do. I'm right. sick of his having a boat, and I don't even have a boat. And what the teacher here says in Chapter 4 and what we just read is, you know what? There's no bottom to that. We're going to see that in a little while, too, about riches. There's no bottom to that. You're never going to get to the point of saying, okay, good. You know, I'm, I'm just blessed. That's what he says here. You know, you could better have just one handful of tranquility in right. your life, being satisfied, than two handfuls of toil that aren't enough. It'll never be enough when you're driven by envy. And you know, the green monster envy is never, ever going to take into account context. Right. We don't know what that person went through to get what they have. They might have went to school for 12 years. There might be an inheritance from a loved one they don't see anymore, and they have this thing that they bought, but it's not going to bring the person back. We just don't know the context, and that's why it's a shallow view. You shouldn't even mess with it, and it shouldn't be a part of what toiling is for you. Toiling is very unhealthy for you. And the second person that we see is one that literally works nine nine hours a week and doesn't have time for anything else. Uh, I seen a movie about this once where the guy, he was rich, he was successful, but lonely and bored. He had no family. And then he woke up and he dreamed and there were children going around his family. He had a wife, he had kids. And he chose that second life because it had more meaning for him as opposed to working and just going to bed and doing it again, working. Workaholism, the famous saying, you know, you never have time to stop and smell the roses. Because indeed, there's no end to it, right? Like we said, there's no bottom to it. And when work becomes so overly important, I mean, there are parts of Ecclesiastes that said, you know, maybe it doesn't matter at all, but it's also possible to make it too important to you. And then people suffer. Here's this man, the teacher says, he didn't have a brother, he didn't have children, uh, he was all alone, uh, he was busy. But, you know, that was sort of it. It sort of reminds you of the legend of uh, King Midas, of the man, the king with the golden touch. Remember? Oh, yes. And that story ends tragically when he reaches out one day and touches his daughter, and she turns to gold, lifeless gold, right? So the first part of King Midas sounds good. All he had was gold. Right. But then the bottom line was, yeah, but in the end, all he had was gold. Right. And the writer of this book is saying if you put all your trust and what your hands produce, you're pretty much on dangerous ground because that in and of itself is meaningless. And, and I'm trying to figure out how do we not let drivenness take over oh. in us? How do we learn to pace ourselves and not get caught up in the rat race 
one of my favorite songs is in Christ alone. There's a line in there that says, when fears are stilled and when strivings Strivings cease. cease. And I'm trying to figure out when do the strivings raise up in me and when do I need to confess them? And how do I get off of that and stop trying to keep up with the Joneses? And only God can help us with that. And I'm really, really glad that our identity is not tied up in what we produce. I think, Darrell, we've both known some people. I I knew a former pastor even who had sunk so much of their identity only into their work that when that was taken away from them, they retired or, or, you know, whatever, they were lost. Some of them got extremely depressed. They didn't know what to do when they weren't super, super busy 50, 60 hours a week. That's not good either. That's a chasing after the wind, the teacher says. But uh, in just a moment, we're going to discuss another motive some people have, and uh, we've touched on a little bit, uh, but it's the motive of riches for riches' sake. So we're going to take a look at that in just a moment. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit familyfire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, in this uh, second episode of a three-part series on Ecclesiastes, we said we're going to talk about the theme of work. And that weaves all through it. And we just said, and we're going to see this before the episode is done, when our work comes from good motives, it'll be a good thing. But when it comes from bad motives, like envy... Or when work becomes an end in itself, so you're a workaholic. Those aren't good motives. But there is another not-so-good motive behind work that the teacher of Ecclesiastes also wants to talk about. In this section, we're going to continue that conversation. But we need to understand that life is more than work. And that's the problem. When you work for work's sake or you work for what we're talking about here, which would be the love of money, then you run into all types of problems. And I just want to look at this verse here because the teacher has something to say about that in chapter five. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. So there it is, the love of money. It's sort of an interesting thing. He says, you know, those who have less sleep better than those who have more because all night long they're worried about the stock market. All night long they're worried <laughs> about their investment portfolio. All night long they, they worry about uh, on what a slender thread all of their wealth hangs. It's never enough. Uh, the father of a friend of mine once said to my friend, son, don't ever make earning more money all the time your, your bottom line goal. Because you know what? At the end of the month, you're always going to have the same amount. Now, you might think, you know, boy, you know, I, I earn $50,000 a year. And then let's say a couple of years later, uh, you've gotten some promotions and now you're getting $65,000 a year. 
But then you say, how come I don't have any more money at the end of the month than I had when I was making $15,000 less? You know why? Because when you get more, you spend it. Yeah. So what you're talking about, Scott, is the insatiable appetite of what this earning money could do to some people. So your cost of living goes up, but your tastes go up as well. Mm -hmm. This thing is going to be something more expensive to you, especially if you're not a good steward. And my mom used to always say money happens to burn a hole in your pocket when you you have to spend it. You need to hurry up and spend it. If you do that, it's definitely a chasing of the wind because you're going to end up with nothing at the end of that. Don't work just for the money, the teacher's saying, because that's a bottomless pursuit. You will never hit enough. You know, I I think maybe I've met a few quite wealthy people in my life who I think honestly could say, I got enough. But you're going to tend to meet far more people who don't know what enough would even look like. I mean, if if that's all your focus, what would enough look like? And you could ask somebody, somebody could ask me that. I'm not sure I could answer it either. It's like, well, Scott, how much is enough? How much money would you need per year that you would say, that's enough or more than enough I don't even want anymore. I, I don't know what the answer would be, and probably a lot of us wouldn't. And that, the teacher says, is a chasing after wind. It's just because it's all going to – you could lose it all overnight, uh, and then if that's your whole life, you've lost your life. And that would be an over-identification with your wealth. Yeah, so the teacher is always sounding like this. Straight, no chaser. Straight shot, right between the eyes. Like I said in the last episode, this is the friend that tells you you have something in your teeth to let you know they're not going to sugarcoat anything for you. So, I mean, it's really hard for us to get some optimism or some cheerfulness from the teacher. But there's a verse right here that is going to be as close as we can possibly get to (laughs) what it means to be positive here. And and, in chapter nine, uh, starting at verse seven, it says this. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going— there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. <laughs> so he, he can only get so positive here. Um, and he keeps punctuating this with, you know, just all your, you know, just do your best, uh, you know. But he does say some interesting things here, Daryl. He does say, look, you, you can enjoy life because God approves your work. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But if you have the sense that God notices your work, if you have the satisfaction of thinking that God approves what you do, well, then you can relax a little bit. That was really, in Israel, the purpose of the Sabbath, right? a day where you don't work and you just trust God. And you trust that God is satisfied with what you do the other parts of the week, and so now you just relax into the grace of God. So there is something positive uh, to that notion that God approves of our work. So then it isn't all meaningless then. There is a lot in life where God can approve of your work. It means that work can be positive when it's done for the right motive, because motive is going to be absolutely important. Why do we do what we do, Scott? If we know the answer to that, if we allow God to speak into that, I think the teacher is challenging the motive of why people do what they do in this book. And if we could realize that, you know, money isn't the main answer, working hard isn't the main answer. If those things we know are chasing after the wind, but if God approves 
views of our work. He notices it. He's excited about it and he's endorsing it. I think that's a good place to live from a clear conscience. You can stay there. Right. Knowing that God remembers even when other people forget or when other people don't notice. I've had the great privilege to write several books in my career. And I remember after I wrote my first book uh, in the late 90s and it was published and I got copies in the mail, you know, from Erdman's publishing company. And it's like, well, there, I'm a published author. My life's going to take off now. And it's like nothing changed. Uh, (laughs) Most people I met had no idea I'd written a book and they didn't care. Uh, It's like nothing changed. Oh, you know, so if I was hoping to become a world famous author, forget it. Uh, But God notices your work. Even though everybody else forgets it or isn't even aware of it, God remembers it. So set your heart on the things that endure. And that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we're going to see in a minute, when we dedicate our work to God, it makes a huge difference. And we'll wrap up this program pondering that in just a moment. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we've been in this book of Ecclesiastes. This is number two of our three-part series. And we've been talking about the teacher who happens to not sugarcoat anything. The teacher will not let us believe or have rose-colored glasses about anything that he is saying. He's letting us know the sober reality that many of the things that we put value in are meaningless. So how do we live? How are we supposed, what are we supposed to take from this, Scott? And in this episode, particularly, what do we take away from his reflections on work? Well, first, let's just admit, uh, unless you're independently wealthy and never have a need to work, for most of us, whatever the work is we do, it's going to occupy a big chunk of our lives. How how much of what percentage of your time do you spend on your job? And it's a lot uh, of your waking hours uh, if you're a working person. But the question is, can we see our work? And you mentioned this earlier, Daryl, as a vocation from the Latin voca, meaning a call. And, you know, Daryl, you and I are pastors, so people often ask us, tell us about your call, Daryl. How did you get called into the ministry? And I think people, and my wife really chafes against this, get the impression only ministers are called. Other people just get a job. But the Reformation, and Lee Hardy, a philosopher from Calvin College, now Calvin University, wrote a wonderful book years ago called The Fabric of This World, in which he recovered the, the Reformer's insight, John Calvin and especially Martin Luther, everybody's called. I think it's interesting that you would bring that up because in Scripture, I see in the Old Testament that there were people who were anointed by the Spirit to build the temple, like measurements Mm. and skills and architecture and and construction, all these things. It wasn't people who were preaching and teaching God's Word. And I'm not sure why we have that view this day, but everyone who works, everyone who has hands to do things, everyone who is adding value somewhere, that could be a vocation and a call from God. Exactly. And so we opened this episode. 
episode with that song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend. We don't have to work for the weekend and treat Monday through Friday as a nuisance on the way to, you know, partying hardy on Saturday and Sunday or something. No, it's not a slaving away. It's not burdensome toil that we talked about in the first part of the episode. God wants to have us view our working hours as the fulfillment of a calling. And that means, secondly, Daryl, that certainly our work is not just a means to getting a bigger bank account or a flashier car. Like I said before, the teacher is exposing the motive behind why we want that stuff. If it's so that everyone can look at us and see that we're important or we want them to think we're special, then we actually are chasing the wind. I think the heart is that we can use the money that we give as long as we don't love it and hoard it. We right. can we can bless. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if we can contribute, we can tithe, we can be a blessing, we can leave an extra tip at the restaurant when the server comes by. Whatever we can do to help folks, that money is a means to answer some of the tangible situations that we run into in this world. Exactly. If we see our work as a calling, then we see what we earn from that as a chance to serve. Exactly. Right? Martin Luther had this great passage that I I read years ago, and I can't remember where it was. It may have been in some of his table talk conversations that uh, some of his students wrote down. Martin Luther said, you know, when God answers our prayers, he doesn't do it through dramatic divine intervention most of the time. He does it through ordinary, mundane things. God works through people. And so Martin Luther, in talking about the Lord's Prayer at one point, he said, you know, just imagine a family gets up, they're at the breakfast table, and they pray the Lord's Prayer together, including the line, give us this day our daily bread. And then Luther said, you know what? At that very moment, as that family prays that, a baker across town who got up at 4 a.m., he is at that very moment pulling his first loaves of bread out of the brick oven. And that's the answer to their prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The baker on the other side of town is fulfilling that. I love that you're talking about how God uses people to bless other people. One of the prayers that I pray is that I would repose in the fact that before I set my foot on the floor in the morning, God has already solved the problem that I think I'm going to run into that day. He's already set provision because he's Mm -hmm. a providential God. He's already fed us. He's already solved all the issues. So you're pointing out, Scott, that other people around are the ones that are part of the answer of that prayer. And I, too, could be part of an answer to a prayer for someone else if I'm available and allow God to use me and I don't use the money or the work to identify me, I could use them as tools to bless other folks. Exactly. And that's the third point. You just ran right into it. That means there are no insignificant jobs. Everybody is part of God's providential plan. Good truck drivers, people good at repairing electrical circuits, careful bus drivers, people who inspect restaurants to make sure health codes are maintained so nobody gets sick. There are no uh, unimportant jobs. And when all of us do our jobs well, life just goes better. I was thinking about that. I I recently was rewatching watching part of that movie, Sully. Oh, yeah. Uh, And we all remember if we were alive back in January 2009, that day when that U.S. Airways plane had to ditch into, they'd run into a whole flock of geese and took out both their engines and they had to land in the Hudson River in New York City. Well, Captain Sullenberger landed the plane intact, but it was in freezing water. It was in January in New York. It was freezing water and the plane was going to sink eventually. But you know what? Within minutes, Staten Island ferry operators, the people who brought people on a boat to the Statue of Liberty, fishermen, uh, they all revved up their engines and headed straight to that plane. And in 24 minutes, those good sailors got all 155 passengers off the wings of that plane out of the icy river. 
just guys doing their job. It's not always that dramatic, but it's always that good when people do their jobs well. I remember the picture of everyone standing on the wings where where everybody was waiting to be rescued. And you bring out a a fantastic point of how every job was necessary. It's kind of an all-hands-on-deck mentality. If everyone does what God has called them to do, I don't need to envy you. I don't need to be jealous of you. I don't need to be upset with what you have because God has given me what I need. And so it's really beautiful to see that. Exactly. We've talked about this before, but the composer Johann Sebastian Bach at the bottom of every piece of music he wrote were the letters SDG from the Latin, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And I don't care what you do. If you're a baker, you put SDG on your your rolls. If you're a mechanic, you put SDG on the muffler you just fixed. Uh, Because when we do everything to God's glory alone, that our work is a not a burdensome toil. It is a joy. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with the Groundwork. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney and Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we conclude our study of Ecclesiastes by examining the teacher's reflections on time and what makes life meaningful. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit the website, reframeministries.org, for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney J.